Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more, about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. This is the third and final episode in our three-part series in collaboration with Garwood Solutions and Honeycomb PS. And in today's show, it's my turn to talk about the third pillar, marketing. In times like this, you need to adapt and respond. As you are probably seeing, the traditional consulting BD approach of meeting people for coffees just isn't an option, and you have to do something different. That's where effective digital marketing comes in. In this episode, I explain how you can use digital marketing to help you respond to the current climate while setting your business up for long-term success. I take you through the exact framework we use with our clients to help them develop effective marketing strategies that deliver results and explain some of the tactics that you should be using right now to help you generate new conversations for your business. It's also worth saying that we had a ton of great questions as part of this session, and as such, I'd highly recommend listening till the end of the show to make sure you get all of the great content that we shared in this one. If I'm reflecting a little bit on the whole series, it was great fun. I really enjoyed doing these three webinars with Rob and Derry, and most importantly, the audience that we had attend them enjoyed them too. We had some great feedback from those who joined the live sessions. Everyone who messaged us said it was really valuable. They got a ton from it. And I hope that you get just as much from the podcast version too. So with all that said, with the intro done and dusted, all that's left to say is please sit back, relax and enjoy the third and final episode in our three pillars of post-lockdown success series. Right, so I think it looks like attendees, the, the flow of attendees has slowed. So I'm sure some people will dial in a bit late. Meetings tend to finish and over, overrun a little. But for those of you who have made it on time, really keen to get going so that we can cover everything for the session for you today. So what are we going to cover? Well, firstly, welcome to the third in the series that we're running with Garwood and Honeycomb. For those of you who attended the previous two, as I just mentioned, we had firstly Rob Garner on understanding the M&V in your value proposition and Derry Hughes on how you can build control and flexibility into your operations. And today's webinar is the third in that series looking at marketing. So today I'm going to cover firstly, who are we? And I'll also hand over to my co-hosts for them to introduce themselves. 
I'm then going to set a bit of context and, and help you understand how the three sessions fit together, because we were very focused from the start that the reason we've come together is that these are three critical areas. And so I want to explain and just recap for those of you who maybe weren't able to join the last sessions, how the three areas come together. We'll then dive into the meat of today. So what is our digital marketing framework, how it can help you and how you can use what I'm going to explain to build a marketing strategy that generates return on investment for your consulting firm. I'll then explain some of the tactics you can use to put it into practice and open it up to questions so that you can ask myself, Rob and Derry, anything you want to know about marketing, anything that may have related to some of the previous sessions, and we'll share our perspective on that. So let's start with who are we? Who is Create Engage? So we are a specialist digital marketing agency that focuses on the consulting industry. It's something that I hear time and time again that the agencies don't understand our industry. And, and I get it. I've been a consultant. What we do is different to many other industries, and you have to understand that to be able to market it. We focus on digital marketing, and I'll explain more about what that is momentarily. But we focus very much on digital, and we make sure that where we can, we're at the forefront of it. So we understand where marketing is going. We're constantly testing the latest channels, tools, approaches to make sure that when we're advising our clients, they are getting the best of that insight for their business. Equally, we, we do this. You know, we practice what we preach. We run uh, the leading podcast for the UK consulting industry called Climbing Consulting, which gets on average 1,000 listeners an episode. So not only are we saying you should do this, but we do this. And I think you know, two of the, the key points which link back to ROI and something that we hear time and time again is we are both pragmatic and we deliver results. So the first one, you know, really importantly, you have a business to run. A lot of you joining the call, you're running your own consulting firms, you know, boutique firms that you're growing you know, from, from scratch into something much, much bigger. We understand budgets are tight and really focus on using our resource to help you maximize what you can do with marketing. Because a lot of marketing you can do yourselves, but you need that starting point. You need that guidance to be able to do so. And then the key part is this stuff works. You know, we've had clients who have won work off the back of campaigns we've done with them. We've been doing a host of webinars recently where firms have had anywhere from 40, 50, 60, 100 people attend. You know, we've got clients who are now looking at email lists. They're looking at leads of 100 people, 200 people, 300 people, all through webinars like we're doing today. And I'll come on later to some of those approaches. Now, if this was a Create Engage only webinar, this would be the time where I show you a testimonial video because I get it. I'm, I, I'm a consultant. I've been a consultant. We're skeptical folk and we're particularly skeptical folk of marketing people like me. But I'm conscious that I'm not the only one on this session and I don't want to take all of the time talking about Create Engage. So I will be sharing the testimonial in the email that I send off the back of this. But what I want to do now is hand over to my co-hosts to introduce Derry and Rob, who will be joining me for today. Derry, do you want to give a short background on yourself and Honeycomb PS? Sure. Thanks, Nick. And uh, great to see so many people joining for this uh, third and final episode. So my name is Derry Hughes. I'm the founder of Honeycomb PS. We work exclusively with consulting firms, mostly on the operational side of their businesses. So that's developing operations plans, running training sessions, providing coaching services, providing outsourced operation services for finance, HR and office management. Um, and also I'm launching a new recruitment proposition called Explore Consulting in September. Uh, prior to that, I was the Chief Finance and Operations Officer at Credo Business Consulting, uh, which we grew to about 15 million of turnover and then sold to Teneo in 2017. And prior to that, I was a strategy consultant at Bain & Company and with my own practice focused on deal environments. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Derry. And Rob, do you want to say a bit about yourself and Garwood Solutions? Yeah, of course. Thanks very much. Uh, so Rob Garner, uh, founder of Garwood Solutions. So Garwood is a performance improvement uh, consultancy focused around professional services. Um, specifically, we kind of engage with clients around probably four key areas. So we help them in terms of governance. We help them in with funding, whether that's M&A or investment. We help them with, with operations and operating models. And we also uh, have a reputation for helping organizations with successful platform implementation. So the systems to support professional services systems and probably most notably within that kind of PSAs. For me, my background, uh, kind of 30 years in professional services, last 20 years or so in kind of leadership roles and most notably as a partner in KPMG, uh, the founder of my own business, which I, uh, with uh, my fellow founding partner, uh, scaled to something around um, the early teens. We were on scale to about 13 million before we sold it some time ago to the tribal group, which that then led me to become ultimately MD and chief exec of, of the tribal group as an education and software services business. 
in addition to Garwood at the moment, I'm also non-exec or board advisor on four uh, scale-up businesses within professional services, ranging from classic consulting businesses through to more tech-based businesses. But that's enough. Back to you. Brilliant, Rob. Thank you. So moving on then, just to bring us back to how do these three webinars come together and how, how does this approach, the three pillars come together? So Rob, in the first session, he talked about the value proposition. You need to know what value you're bringing to the market and, and which markets. Where, where are you strong in terms of a, a market sector and how do you either transition that into other markets or bring other offerings into that market? Derry then built on that by talking about what you need to do for, from an operations perspective around control, flexibility, how do you build those in? And Derry also introduced his two key approaches, the key and the revenue flywheel. And as step one in the revenue flywheel, as, as Derry highlighted, was actually how do you take your proposition to market? And so these are two of the key areas you need to build to really succeed as we come out of COVID-19 and into the next year. And that's where what we're going to talk about comes in. You need an effective marketing strategy to be able to articulate that value proposition and drive that revenue flywheel. And why now? Why think about marketing at all? Because that's something that I get time and time again. And, you know, we're, we're all consultants. We, we're all used to growing consulting businesses and driving revenue in a particular way. And the challenge as I'm sure many of you are finding right now, is it's all well and good what Rob was saying about creating, and I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm saying this as someone might be sceptical, it's great saying you need a value proposition, but how do I take that to market? And the problem is that the traditional routes aren't available to you. The, the coffees, the beers, the rugbies, the dinners, you can't do that right now. And so there are many firms out there who are struggling because what would have been their standard go-to-market route has disappeared. The second and, and third reasons, actually, are your clients. Your clients need you right now. Your clients have never needed you more, most probably, because they're currently wrestling with how do I get all of my workforce to work remotely? How do I get them all back? And how do I manage going forward from there? Regardless of the type of consulting you do, that presents huge opportunity for you because your clients need your help. And because they need your help, your clients are receptive. They want to hear from you. And the other side of this is they have time. The thing that nobody is saying publicly, but I'm sure we're all thinking privately, is there are a lot of senior executives who suddenly have a ton of time because the meetings that they would have spent day in, day out going to and traveling to and from have either been canceled, postponed or moved to Zoom. So if you deal particularly at the sort of C-suite level with international um, CEOs, CXOs, they're going to spend a lot of time on the plane. You can't, you can't speak to them. They need to book in that travel time. Suddenly they're at home. And those, you know, 12, 15, 20 hours a week, they would have been traveling are now available. And that's the time that you can be there sharing value with them so that they know who you are, know how you can help them and build towards a BD conversation. And then the last thing to say is your competitors are already doing this. And we know this because we're helping a lot of them do this. I speak to a lot of prospective clients who say, well, I'm not sure on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's really busy. or I'm seeing a lot of people do webinars. Well, that's because they're working. And actually, if you're not doing it, you are the one that's being forgotten. It's not that by standing out and not doing it, clients are going to find their way to you. For the two points above, clients need help, clients are receptive. They're going to go to the people who are there to help them and make themselves obvious. So that is why we need it. But what, what do you do? It's all well and good saying the why. And I think you all know that's why you're on a marketing webinar today. So to help our clients and to help you create that effective marketing strategy to reach those target clients of yours, we use our digital marketing framework. This is something that we have used across professional services from recruitment to accounting firms to obviously our core market of consulting. It can be used regardless of the level in the organization. So again, we've used this at firm level to create firm-wide marketing strategies. Likewise, if you're a bigger firm, same applies in a practice area, all the way down to an individual campaign. It's something that actually, if you just spend an hour doing this, your marketing will be infinitely more effective than if you don't. I, I think I spend a lot more time debating budgets with prospective clients or hearing challenge around budgets than I do around actually, how do we know we're targeting the right people? How do we know our messaging is right? And ultimately, that is the key thing you should be focusing on. So an hour using this framework, and it's worth saying off the back of this webinar, I'll share the framework with everyone on the call will help infinitely improve your marketing. So I'm going to spend the next 15, 20 minutes walking through this framework, and then we're going to open it back out to questions uh, and feel free to throw anything at myself, at Robert Derry. So we'll start at the top of the framework because this is something that I think so many consulting firms 
either don't think about or get wrong. And this touches on Rob's point around what is your, your value proposition. So once you're really clear on your value proposition, you know what value you bring to the market, you actually then need to be able to articulate that. And to start with, you, you need to know what is different about your service. So I spend a lot of my time looking at consulting firm websites, marketing material, et cetera. And I've lost track of the amount of consulting firms that all sound the same. You know, the, saying you have good people is not a differentiator. Saying you've done good projects is not a differentiator. Is likewise, you know, calling yourselves a transformation consultancy in 2020 is not a differentiator. You need to get really clear on what is it that's unique about your business. Because actually, if you think about this from your personal life, we all want to work with the best. You know, think about the clothes you're wearing. No one ever went to the shop and said, I want the second best t-shirt or I want the second best pair of jeans or frankly I want the worst pair of jeans you wanted the best and now for anyone thinking well actually you know I don't want the most expensive that's not what I'm saying here you want the best for your needs now your needs might be comfort your needs might be actually it's the cheapest but whatever your needs are you were attracted to the best for that not the second best and it's the same here people want to work with the best at what they do and that's what we call your niche you need to get really clear on what that niche is and how your best to serve it. Because for those of you on this call, this is a series targeted at boutique firms. If you were you know, a big four and had a huge marketing budget, you could say we're just the biggest consulting firm and you could spend money proving it. But for everyone on this call, I'd assume that that's not the case. So when that's not the case, you have to go the other way. You have to focus on what sets you apart. What is it that makes you special? And the beauty of this is actually you can go as niche as you want because you will have clients who want the best in what they do. And, you know, it's it's a bit of a ridiculous example. But today on LinkedIn, I saw someone who specializes in dog photography. If you've got a dog, they will take photos of it and they will do it better than anyone else. Now, that's a crazy small niche. But I can tell you, if I had a dog, and we hopefully will soon, that will be the man taking photos of it. Now, I say that as a, a bit of a flippant example. But to bring it back to, to consulting, if your skill set, let's say, is in IT, let's say you're an IT implementation firm, there's tons of those, but actually your specific skill set, what you are great at is transitioning projects. You can take an IT project and move it into BAU and you can deliver the benefits. You know, that's your key niche. Well, then start there because there will be a ton of clients who want that specific skill set. And the hidden benefit here is if you start niche, you really focus on what you're an expert on. Firstly, it makes your marketing easy because you can just talk about that but actually it attracts other clients because we all want to work with the best. And most people are willing to accept if you are not an expert in their area, if you are the best at what you do. We're an example of this. So we focus, and if you've looked at our website, we're very clear, we're a consulting focused marketing agency. We don't talk about any other industry, but we have just launched a podcast for a Silicon Valley tech firm. We're working with a barrister's chambers at the moment. We're doing, as I say, a website for an accounting firm. None of those are what you'd call typical consulting firms, but they saw what we'd done in our, our core space and decided they wanted to work with us. So that's the first thing. If you're thinking about your firm's marketing strategy, if you've taken what Rob said around your value proposition, think about what makes that value proposition super specific. What makes you the leader? What could you confidently walk into a room with a client and say, we are the leader in this thing? And start small where you can confidently say it and build up. If you want an example of this, Elixir is a great company to look at, highly recommend them. One of the things that's interesting about Elixir and is worth touching on as well is they take a slightly different frame. They created a niche for themselves. They call themselves the challenger consultancy. You know, they are number one challenger according to their marketing and according to, you know, what their clients are saying about them. But that's another great way to, to build your niche is actually create it around something, you know, pitch yourselves against others, but do so in a way that's unique. Don't just say we're another alternative to the big four. Then moving on, who is your target client? So you know, all of these steps are really important, but almost if you're going to spend one, you know, any time on any of these steps, make it this one. So often I hear people say, well, we look, we sell to CEOs, we sell to COOs, we sell to CXOs, IOs, you know, whichever target you think it is. The challenge I've got, and you know, I, I welcome your thoughts on this from questions, is I've never met two CEOs who are the same. I've never met two managing partners who are the same. I've never met two consulting partners who are the same. And it's just the same with your buyers. You, you don't sell to grades or roles. You sell to people. And actually digging into who those people are, what is their pain points, their challenges, is what will take your marketing from just noise to something that really hits people. There is a reason that all of you have joined this session today. And part of that will be because you read the marketing and said, this is targeted at me. That was a deliberate thing. That was not a guess. 
And so for yourselves, for your either organization, your practice, or for your campaign, you want to do the same thing. You want to think, actually, who is my buyer? And that's both in terms of demographics, so age, role, et cetera, but also in terms of their psychographics. So actually, what motivates them? Are they intrinsically or extrinsically motivated? Do they, you know, so for those of you who, who are less familiar with those terms, are they motivated by themselves and, and doing a great job for themselves? Or are they motivated by the accolades that come with success externally? Are they risk takers? Are they risk averse? These are all really important characteristics. Likewise, then, actually, the thing that will help inform your marketing is their challenges and pain points. What is it that they're struggling with? Particularly now, I mean, this is relatively easy to ascertain, but what is it your clients are struggling with? Challenges are the things that they're striving to overcome. So in a sort of sporting world, your challenge might be doing a marathon, let's say. A pain point is then something that keeps you awake at night. It's the horrible thing that you're thinking about time and time again. And this is the thing that if you can show your clients you have a solution to, they will want to pick up the phone to you. So again, just trying to stick with the sporting analogy. Let's say you are training for a marathon. Your pain point is you've hurt your knee and you're now scared stiff that you won't be able to run the marathon. And now I use, um, I use sort of personal examples for people because I think it's quite easy for, particularly with a large audience, a cross-sector audience, to gather. So if you're doing a marketing for people running marathons, the challenge-focused marketing may be about a, a plan to help people do it in their best time. The pain point might be actually, how do you avoid getting that bad knee? Or if you've got that bad knee, how do you fix it before the marathon? The last piece of the puzzle is actually understanding where, the, where those target clients fit in the buying journey. So actually, are you targeting the CXO? Are you targeting the person below them? Or are you targeting a gatekeeper? So this is always a really interesting exercise with our clients because everyone starts at CEO. But actually, when you dig down, there's many successful organizations who actually do very well selling to gatekeepers. And gatekeepers are those people who maybe they're the head of a specialist area. So take process improvement. Maybe actually yeah, they're a head of process improvement who's much more of a technical focused person than they are a managerial or a sort of a decision maker, but they can influence the decision makers. And so understanding these things is really key. So you want to answer the questions that I've just outlined there. Who are they? What are their challenges? What are their pain points? Where are they in the buying journey? And you will have multiple avatars, it's worth saying. So your different target clients, there won't just be one. And actually, you might have multiple different ones for each of your practices or each of your campaigns. But you really want to spend time on who they are, because that then informs everything else. Moving on from that, once you know what you want to be famous for, you know who your target clients are, then it comes down to your key messaging. And these are the messages that you use time and time again with clients. And that can be both in a sales context, but in a marketing context too. These are the things that you want to weave into your blogs, into your videos, into your LinkedIn content, into your webinars, because you know it will hit your target clients and it will appeal to them. I guess the easiest way to explain how to get to messaging, and there's, there's probably two routes, but taking the framework we're doing, start with your USPs and frame them in a context that you know will resonate with your target client. So just to, to give you a bit of a fictitious example, let's say that you help clients cut costs and, and your USP is something around that. And you have two types of clients. One is very much risk averse, and they're always fearful that a business is going to go bust somehow. The other one is a, is a really ambitious, you know, they're really driven, they're really risk taking, and they're focused on growth. So actually, the fact you cut cost can be a benefit to both of them, just framed differently. And that's the messaging. To the, the risk averse person, the message is, we will help you shore up your business. To the, the risk taking, the, the sort of growth focused avatar, your message is that we'll help you reinvest this. If you get this money, it gives you a bigger war chest to go out and grow. Now, it's just one example, but, but that's a, a really simple, I guess, a, a explanation of how to develop messaging. The other one is actually think about what you use in sales calls. So everyone on this call will have done sales calls at some point, will be involved in some sort of the B, some part of the BD process. What are those things that you say that just clients light up? What is it that when you say that specific sentence or phrase, your clients go, wow, you get me, you get my business. Those are your key messages. Moving on then, once you've got those key messages and you're clear on what are the things you need to weave into the content, you're clear on the challenges and the pain points your target clients face, it's time to start thinking about your content. So you know what you stand for, you know what will appeal, and you know the messages you need to create. Start creating content. And the key thing here is just as we did with the target avatars, be specific. Talk to the individual person. You want to almost imagine you are writing something for a specific client. And I'll sometimes say to our clients, use that as an approach. The reason being, it's very easy to, in, in your head, picture that client, picture that CEO, CIO, whoever it may be, and write something for them. And 
I can almost guarantee you that if one of those type of people in your industry has that problem, there will be at least 10 other buyers who have that same problem because a lot of the problems are similar across the industry. There's also an interesting thing to add here that I think because of the name thought leadership and it's you know what still a lot of people call content in our industry, there's a misconception that it has to be the latest thing. It has to be the latest research. It has to be you know a cutting edge insight. And this is where I think a lot of people confuse actually what your clients want with what they think they should do, because the problems your clients have are, are usually as old as time or as old as their industry is. So you know, if I think about IT, for as long as there have been IT systems, there have been people struggling with how to replatform them. Or take what we do, marketing. Marketing has been around for hundreds of years. You know, I was on a sales podcast recently. Sales has been around for hundreds of years. The, the challenges haven't changed. The approaches, the tactics, techniques, yes, they do change and they evolve and the systems evolve, et cetera. But actually the core underpinnings of how do you do a successful replatforming, how do you do a successful operating model don't change. So be really clear on giving great value and focus on that and almost worry less about being at the cutting edge. If you're doing something that really targets your clients, the specific people who need your help and you're giving them value, they will love you for it. They will contact you. You will be rewarded. And I mentioned it just there. It's not something on our framework, but probably should be the, the thing that sits above this framework is any content you create has to give value. This is the other challenge that many consulting firms fall into. So the first is that they create content for no one and it's really ambiguous, or they actually create content for someone, but it gives no value. How many blogs have you read, either of your firms or other firms, you get to the end and think, well, what did I learn? It's exactly the same here. I say to our clients and prospective clients, and it seems to be something that sticks really powerfully with people, so I'll say it to you as well. If you're not giving away more IP than you are comfortable with, you are not giving away enough. The days of IP being the, the crown jewels of your consulting business are long gone. You know, We'll have a debate about this a bit later, I'm sure, but what people buy from you as a consulting firm, they do buy your skills, but they buy your ability to apply that in, their, in a client context. So your unique operating model framework, it's not unique. It's the same one that's probably in every consultancy on this call. And the chances are that someone's taken it from every consultancy to the other consultancies. That is not unique. What is unique is your knowledge of your industry and your ability to apply that. Why do I say that? It's because a lot of our industry still don't realize that. And so for you to get ahead very quickly, very easily, give that away. Give away your frameworks, give away your methodology, just like we're doing on this webinar series. Rob gave away advice that you'd probably be paying thousands of pounds for. Derry did the same. Here I am, this framework, we regularly sell to clients the workshop to deliver this for thousands of pounds. And we're giving it to you free. We're giving you the detailed explanation here for free. This is what you need to do. If you are not giving away this level of content or better, then you are not giving away effective content that's going to get you what you want which is the people inquiring is going to get those conversations, et cetera. One thing just to touch on the framework, and I'm mindful of time, so I won't spend long on this, but if you're thinking about content, you want to think about actually what's it for and how can you reuse it. So these terms evergreen and one-off, just to dig into that, if you've got a framework and a great piece of evergreen content, evergreen being things you can reuse time and time again, is, is that framework and is an overview of that framework, let's say. So worked example here, this framework is evergreen. You know, it doesn't matter if there's COVID-19, it doesn't matter what happens next year. This framework we can use for a number of years. Likewise, the ebook on our website that many of you have downloaded, that is something that we can use for a number of years. That said, there's also one-off content, which is highly specific things that once it's done, you can't reuse. So if it's COVID-19 related, it will run out in a few months. Now, you want to have a mix of those, but you always want to think, how can you create more evergreen content? Because it's much easier to create one-off content off the back of it. To that point around time, I'm actually going to jump planning and creating content because this gets into the weeds of how do you do it? Who's going to do it? What's the best resource and, and what's the most cost-effective route for it? So I'm going to, to leave that. But I think particularly in a time like this, where some of you may have benches that you're sort of looking at, thinking, well, what can they do? This is a great opportunity for your benched resource to be creating content. And if they're currently not, they're currently working on a new proposition, I would be refocusing them on content. You know, one day of one person's time, I can send you a deck actually, and there's a great deck by Gary Vaynerchuk to create 64 bits of content in one day. I can send you that and you can do that. So if you're on the bench or you've got someone on the bench right now, or if you're not on project, I know we've got some independents on the call take that pack and actually just work through it and create 64 bits of content. And that gives you two months worth of content if you're putting one piece out a day. 
The last piece of the framework then, and this is a really important piece that many get wrong, is the amplification of content. Having great content is one thing and is a really good thing. But if you don't let your target clients know it's there, if you don't shout about it, they're never going to find it. And this is, again, to that point around LinkedIn being busy. It is. And the answer is not to step back. The answer is to step forward and lean into that busyness and get your voice known. So first off, for anyone on this call who's running a consulting firm, which has more than just them or has a team, you want to be getting all of your team behind your content. You know, This webinar series for us has done phenomenally well because of the work we've done with Derry, with Rob, and we've been collaborating to amplify each other's content. It's the same in your own teams. The other side of this is actually then, how can you be using this content to support your sales and BD? How can your senior leaders be sharing more content to get those conversations started? We've seen this with one of our clients, one of the senior members of a client team, they shared a blog that they had written and it led to one BD inquiry, led to one recruitment inquiry. Now, I'm not going to, I'm very careful when I give these examples because that's a one-off example. Not every piece of content will do that for you. But the point is, it's those types of content done repeatedly, which leads to that benefit. And the last piece, and it all, all comes together really, but how are you actually, are you getting involved in conversations? So something that I think our industry is still a long way behind the curve on in a good way for yourselves on this call is all of the decision makers or the majority of the decision makers you want to work with are actively on LinkedIn. And right now they're on it more because they've not got much to do. You know, they're in the office. They don't want to deal with the kids at home, whatever that is. They're on LinkedIn. They're receptive drop them a message. You would be amazed at the power of a simple message to your target clients or commenting on content they share. So one of the things I've personally seen is a lot more people sharing content, particularly personal content, You know, sharing things about how their family are dealing with lockdown, how they're dealing with lockdown. That's the sort of content where you can start a really nice relationship building conversation. Talk about your experiences. Talk about how you found things. You know, my It's a different example, but my personal trainer, he has filled his entire client book by LinkedIn videos. This is a guy who does gym training, filled his entire client book by LinkedIn videos by becoming part of the conversation. The great thing for you on this call here is all of these tactics, everything I've talked about is massively skewed in your favor. And the simple reason for that is that what you sell is hugely high cost and hugely high margin. So if you get one lead that converts to one sale, and let's say your average project is 100K, you know, and for some of you, that'll be low. One lead, 100K, you know, if you get 10 clients, that makes you a million pound business. That's not a bad place to start. And actually, if you've only spent an hour or two on your marketing or on your social media over that time, it feels like a pretty good investment. So that is our framework. And as I say, very happy to take questions on it. I have got a little bit around the, the tactics and some of the things you may want to, to use and some of the approaches. But I'm actually going to, to pause there because I'm very mindful of time. And I think one of the things we did very well in the last session or the feedback we've had at least was that the discussion was a really powerful part of that conversation. So I'm very happy to talk about putting it into practice and some of the tactics, et cetera. But I think it'd be really good to do that contextually for your context. So I'm going to jump to questions. Obviously, if you've got questions on the tactics, put them in the questions. And I'm going to bring Rob Derry back into the conversation. Derry's been monitoring questions for us. And so I will pause there and open to the floor. Fantastic. Thank you, Nick, for doing that. Um, so uh, a few minutes for people to send some questions in. We have already got some questions, but keen to make sure everyone gets a chance to ask. For those that missed at the start, if you want to ask a question, make sure at the bottom of your screen, you tick the, the gray question mark, ask a question, and that puts it into the Q&A mode. Um, and so that then we can uh, we can definitely see your question. It doesn't get lost in the in the chat. So we have some questions starting to come through. Uh, so there's one here. So probably actually uh, Nick and Rob, you both have views on this. So as a new independent consultant, and I'm not going to use your names when you've asked questions unless you explicitly uh, uh, give us permission to do that. But so this person has asked, um, I'm a new independent consultant. I've got lots of skills. I want to be flexible, attract a broad client base, what ideas have you got on how to zone in on your USP as a new independent? Sure. So I think it's a really good question. And I actually, I think the answer to this is much, it is true whether it's independence or not independence. I think, you know, I've heard this time and time again, you know, we, as a consulting firm, we do a lot, we want to attract lots of clients, so we're just going to do everything. And the answer to this question, whether you're independent or not, is 
do the opposite. So we all have lots of skills, but you have something that sets you apart. And this is where you need to do that work, whether you're an independent or whether you are uh, a consultant firm. I actually think I'd, I'd say this is easier as an independent because it's just, you know, it's, it's self, self-analysis. I think as a firm, it's harder. But what are the things you want to really focus on? And so an easy way to do this is start with what's the thing you've done for the last three years? You know, look at your sold work. If you've sold 90% of your projects in operating model improvement, you're probably going to start there. And that will dictate everything else. So focus on what you're great at identify the clients there. Obviously, your USP comes from what you're great at, and that will deliver more clients to you. I know it sounds slightly paradoxical, but that is how you will get there. And Nick, I couldn't agree more. And I agree that it's it's um, you know, the independent consultant versus the consultancy. It, it, it's the same for both. I mean, I think the organizations that I see succeeding yeah, you know, the fastest in the and I'm not I don't mean just in the current climate of a kind of COVID nineteen climate, but I mean in the kind of economy more broadly over the last year or two are those organisations that have got a clear focus. And I think yeah, you know, once upon a time it used to be we uh, we focus on a sector, but actually we offer a broad range of services. And actually, it also perhaps went the other way once upon a time, which is you know we offer a discrete service, but we're looking at a kind of broad range of sectors. And the organisations that I see really succeeding now are actually operating at the crosshairs of that. They've actually mm. focused right down to a very discreet offering, actually in quite a discreet market. And they are the organisations that are, you know, in my experience, outpacing others. And whether that's an organisation or an individual, I, I feel that that kind of level of focus and, you know, use your phraseology there, Nick, that level of self-analysis actually is critical to making sure that you you are genuinely successful in that way yeah i think the only thing i would i would add to that is next point right at the start of what do you want to be famous for if you want to be famous for being smart or being a nice person to work with you're not going to be famous for that there's loads of smart people who are nice to work with so you've got to be famous for something more crisp and more specific around that Unless, I mean, there is a model of independent consulting that where it's more of a, a lifestyle choice and you're just trying to find projects and you, you're probably not that bothered about uh, building quite the same personal brand there. But I'd still say you need to build a, a track record of expertise in a certain area so that you do become known for something. Okay, we've got lots of questions coming now. So let's have a look. So one here, um, is there a conflict between Nick's sharing of IP? So the the whole message about share more IP than you're comfortable with and what we heard on Tuesday about collecting and recording IP. So maybe I'll take, take that one actually. So um, uh, the context of collecting and recording IP that I spoke about on Tuesday was the fourth part of that revenue flywheel and that building IP and collecting that IP was one of the big purposes of that was to win work. So now I don't see a conflict at all. I think that it's an, it's an important first step is to collect and record and uh, enhance and then externalize your IP so that you can win further work off the back of it. Mm. It's a critical part of the process. Yeah, com- completely agree, Darren. I think, I, you know, this is, the, this is the nice thing about doing a series together, isn't it? And, we, and thank you also um, to the person who asked for, for joining us for the series, because, you know, this is what makes these interesting. And just echo what Derry said, you know, I, when I talk about sharing more IP than you're comfortable with, it's, it's really that you're comfortable with that's quite key is I'm not saying share everything you do. And just like this session here, I'm giving you the framework that is IP, but equally how we run the session to get to an outcome for your business, to a benefit for your business, that is equally IP. And that is IP that we're not talking about here. So just as Derry said, you know, you need to be clear on what is that IP. You need to capture it because if you don't, you can't keep going around Derry's flywheel but I don't see them as conflicting at all. In fact, I see them as supportive, like Derry said. Great. So a couple of related questions, actually, that I'll, I'll draw together in the interest of time. So are these around content and the volume of content and consistency of content. So one question is, can there be too much content? We're very active, but is it possible that we, we hit saturation and, uh, and actually start to provide too much that just gets, uh, gets irritating for clients? And the other is, we're doing a lot. We're putting a lot out there, but a lot of different people in the team are putting it out. And how do we make sure that we're consistent in that as well? Sure. So, yeah, so I think they're, they're good ones to tackle together. So they, the first one, I take this to a really personal example. We'll all have been in this situation. So 
I don't look to some sort of science about how many views and stats. I just say, look, you've been to a dinner party or a drinks party or just you've been around a group of people in a large forum. And we've all met that person that you didn't know before at a party. And you spend the whole night talking to them. You know, let's say the party is five hours. You spent four and a half chatting to someone because you really connected. Likewise, we've all been to a party. You spend five minutes with someone and you, you're excusing yourself to go to the loo. You're making excuses. You're, you're sick of them. And so that's where the same analogy holds with content is I'm yet to see a consulting firm where I think bloody hell they're doing too much of this because our industry is so far behind many in B2C who are just exponentially doing more content. But the key point is if you are doing content that is high value, giving value and targeted at your target clients, there is no such thing as too much. If you are doing content that is just sales messages, it's, you know, it doesn't actually add any value there, then any is too much. So I've seen a lot of LinkedIn posts about, you know, we at this firm do this great thing and we can help you call me. If you've got any of those, get rid of them because that's not going to help anyone. Likewise, you know, the blog on a topic that doesn't actually give any value isn't going to help anyone. But if you're creating value giving content that talks to your audience, just keep going. Um, I'll pause there, Derry Rob, before we go on to the second question. Any ad sort of builds on that? I would reiterate it. Um, I think for topics that I am personally very engaged in, I will consume anything that I can get on that topic. Mm-hmm. So if your clients are engaged in in what you're providing them, they will consume that content and they'll want more of it. So I, I think most people are a long way off too much content. And also it it makes you memorable. So even if uh, even if you get somebody that is hitting your your spam box a lot in in your email, you'll you'll remember their name. So it does it it makes you memorable if you're putting out a lot, and it, and if you're not putting out very much, no no one will remember you. I think it's back to the point that you made, Nick. In in passing, it's about the value. It's it's mm. about the value of the content, and you know, okay, perhaps sometimes that's a little hard to judge. But I think, you know, actually striving for the highest quality content that you can put out, there then is no kind of conflict with it being too much because actually you're you're creating a conversation and you're creating a, an opportunity actually for others to have a conversation as well. And I think, you know, mm. much better to be um, you know, talked about in that context than in the uh, sales message context, as you put it. Uh, and I think it's about, you know, striving for value. So if, if you're confident that you're, content has got value, then I don't think you know, there, there is no concept of too much. Yeah. And you actually, well, you, you mentioned there, and it's probably something just to flag, particularly for the person who is independent here, but it's critical for anyone actually is great value content doesn't just necessarily have to include you. You know, like you said, Rob, actually being the conduit. So the podcast that I run, that is a conduit to great value from guests, just like this series. It's a conduit to each of us and our, our respective networks. So that's another option. Derry, what was the, was, sorry, Derry, recap. The second question was about. So it's about if you're doing that volume of content then how do you make sure you've got consistency when you've got multiple people in the team putting that content out there? Yeah, so, and this is a really good question. And, and for some can be a hard and fine balance. And it, it really depends on scale, where you are in your marketing maturity. So I, without making some assumptions, I'll sort of just say some, I guess, some of the, the key tenants. So the first and foremost is it's great. If you've got multiple people in your team creating content, that's brilliant. And don't restrict them by your corporate guidelines, should we say. And I, I'm I'm using that as a loose term because there's a lot of complexity in there. So, so please don't ask me questions about that. I'm happy to answer them later, but it's very contextual. But what I mean is I've seen consulting firms where every blog has to go through the marketing function, the marketing function, turn it into, you know, that sort of horrible third person language where you talk about companies and our view Today's world is about your people. So if your people want to create content, let them. And actually, the quirks are what people like. There will be some of you on this call who like Derry. There'll be some of them who like Rob, and there'll be some of you like me. And that's what we want to draw out for your firm, those personalities. So the point around actually how do you bring that together in a unified front is do what I've just talked about, what I've spent the last half an hour sharing with you. Because the biggest challenge around consistent content is having clarity on the start, on the direction. If everyone knows where you're going, it's a much easier conversation to have. The challenge often happens where people don't have that direction, so they create what interests them. You know, I'm passionate about, I don't know, operating models. I'll write about operating models. Rob's passionate about strategy. He'll write about strategy. Derry's passionate about operations. He'll write about operations. Whereas actually, if you know your marketing strategy and everything I've described is focused in a specific way, 
you can challenge your team and say, look, we need some content that speaks to this avatar about this thing. Can someone do it? Or can you think about that? And so that's how you get your content pushing in the same direction. But in terms of style, as long as it's not detrimental to your brand, so really as long as no one's swearing, you know, they look respectable, that's pretty much the minimum bar, or that's probably actually the bar you need to worry about. After that, let them be themselves. Let them talk in the voice that represents them because clients will be drawn to it. Does that, I'm interested, Derry, Rob, your, your take on that. I'm not sure I've got much to add. I think, you know, this is, uh, this is core business for you uh, and, you know, a very eloquent answer. What I was actually going to pick up is we've just had a kind of supplementary question come in in relation to our kind of earlier answers, sort of saying yes, but, and the yes, but was about the content and the volume of content, mm. I think, and saying about retaining core ethos and values and not destroying your brand. And you actually picked up on sort of the brand element in your answer to the last question. And it kind of just prompted me to, to highlight on that question. I, I mean, let's throw that back to you, Nick, in the first instance. But but mm. yeah, I think probably both of us will have, both Derry and I will have views on that too. Yeah, and, and this is why I, I think this is, I, maybe we'll do a webinar chapter where we just do a Q&A and let, let people just fire questions at us because this is what makes them fun. And it's the right challenge. You know, you have to care about your brand. You have to care about your ethos and your values. So I, I'm not diminishing that at all. The thing that I find more often than not, and we're sort of 90% to 10% here, not a sort of, you know, one in four, one in two, is too often that is used as a reason to stifle marketing and actually in doing so stifles your brand. You know, your brand is what makes you different. It's your USPs that resonate with your target clients. It's what I've talked about. But if you're not shouting about that and sharing it with the world, you become another transformation consultancy. There is no brand there. You know, saying we have great people, we do great work, we value good things. And I'm being very, it's worth saying to anyone listening to the person who asked, I'm being deliberately controversial to prove the point. That doesn't make you distinct. What makes you distinct is sharing great value content in your own style. So when I'm saying about be, let your team be them, obviously they need to align with your views and they shouldn't be sharing, you know, let's take political activities that are going on. You don't want someone with your brand saying, I support this or I support that, of course. But as long as it's in the tram lines of what you do, let them be them. So if you do operational improvement and your team want to create a video, as long as it's not awful and it's not against your brand, let them do it. As you say, Rob, interested to, does that sort of align with what you two think? Anything to add? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll add a, a personal story on that, actually. So um, I, I think the point of personality is so important because mm. ultimately, as a consultant, people want to know that they want to work with you and, they, and that they're going to like you, as well as the fact that you're going to add value to their business. So I'm, I'm a power lifter. That's my sport. Most of you have probably never heard of it. It involves lifting weights. I wrote this really dubious article on LinkedIn drawing a parallel between the process for getting stronger and the process and my, my approach to process improvement. I did that because it projected personality and who I am. It's actually directly led to leads. So people have got in touch with me and asked to talk about operations back office for their consulting firm because they're also powerlifters and they also and it resonated with them. Obviously, it didn't resonate with many people, but the people it didn't resonate with, we'll, we'll forget about it. And that, that's all about bringing my, my humanity and personality forward in the content that I'm writing. I'd say go for it. I would as well. And, and I'm going to reflect on sort of personal experience as well. I mean, in running my own company for seven or eight years, we marketed pretty heavily, if I'm honest. It was a slightly different era of the mechanism or the medium for doing it. But we were very active and we were very active from a very early kind of point in our in our life. And we pushed you know, membership of organizations when we didn't quite qualify for them by size or by value and we we pushed events and various other things that we we were quite on the front foot i think about we were also a sunday times best company to work for and recognized by our clients and our and our colleagues for the values that that organization embodied and we weren't just the sunday times best company to work for we were a top 20 company to work for so i don't think there's any conflict there at all as long as you get the kind of value in the content and the right approach to it you know i don't think there's any uh, co sorry any conflict there at all i'm just uh, conscious of time so i'm going to pick up uh, a couple of other other questions around uh, around linkedin and social media so one question specifically about linkedin and then uh, uh, which is how do you how do you maximize your target audience and actually find new people on linkedin and then a related question which is is it really all about linkedin or are the other platforms, is it Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram, or these days, TikTok, like are these other platforms 
remotely important or is it just all about LinkedIn? So how do we, is it about LinkedIn and how do we maximize target audience on LinkedIn? Sure. So I think to the point then, Derry, around LinkedIn. So I just, firstly, I love the article, by the way. And I actually, I think something that we haven't touched on, I should have earlier, but it's context to all of this is we work in an industry where you can build a phenomenally successful business. And if your goal is to sell, you can sell it. Or if your goal is to grow and have a very nice lifestyle, you can do the same with 10 clients. You know, I, I know consulting organizations, you know, I'm sure the two of you do, who have the same, if not less. Uh, I, met, I was speaking to one partner where he has one client, he's in a larger firm, and that's a £6 million client. You're, you don't need many of them to build a saleable, scalable business. So to the point around LinkedIn, I guess, firstly, you know, Derry, like you say, all the other channels, I think there's a maturity thing. I'll answer them backwards. So the channel side's a maturity thing and an industry-specific thing. So there's some industries where particularly Twitter is really powerful, but you have to understand the context of those uh, channels. So where firms can go wrong is Twitter can be great if your industry values it and you're commentating, you're communicating regularly. So actually, an industry that seems to really work with Twitter is healthcare. There seems to be a, a lot of traction in healthcare on Twitter, but it's not so powerful in others. Instagram, again, is an interesting one. You have to be contextual, and you have to also go where your clients are. So I mentioned my personal trainer before. Before lockdown, he spent all his time on Instagram getting 20 views a video, because that's what every personal trainer did. Then he changed it up. He went to, he went to LinkedIn and the last video, he got 10,000 views. He can't take any more clients on because of all of the clients he's got. So part of it's contextual and about going to the opportunity, but then also not just jumping on the latest thing. So TikTok, for instance, we're going to start testing because I want to tell our clients if it's good or bad. But would I tell any of our clients to go to TikTok right now? No. To your point then around LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is vastly underused. I know that probably sounds like a really bold statement, but the ability in LinkedIn for you to find your target buyers is phenomenally powerful. There are a number of people on this webinar today who I do not know. I found you through LinkedIn. I found you through LinkedIn. I got your email address. I added you to our mailing list and you are on this webinar today. And for those of you who aren't in that camp, that's how we got half of the webinar attendees all targeted at this industry. So you can do the same. If you target, if you sell IT services, just search head of IT plus industry and you'll find it. And this is all for free, it's worth saying. This is even before you go into Sales Navigator. If the question's more around content, so actually how do you start to build your presence on LinkedIn, just start. You need to start getting out there, start talking, start getting part of the conversation like Derry said. But I think, Derry, did you also say, is LinkedIn the only channel? Was that part of this one as, as well? Yeah, is it, is it? How important is it versus Facebook and Twitter, et cetera? Ah, got you. So I'm going to answer it slightly differently, which is how important is it compared to, I guess, non-social media channels? And I think that's where I'd be saying, I get what people say when that is LinkedIn the only thing. Well, no, you should be looking at, I'd actually say less the social media, more the other sort of more traditional channels. So email still works very well. Webinars that we're doing today, you know, webinars pre-COVID-19 had died. They were done by big organizations who for some reason still did them. No one actually used them. No one attended them. Now they're our most successful marketing approach for us and for our clients. And we've seen really good success. Other channels, you know, thinking about podcasts, I think just from what we're seeing and, and the projects we're starting, podcasts have really become a thing in our industry and they are a brilliant tool to get in front of your target clients and build your brand. You know, one of the questions was about who in our industry should you look up to? And I actually would be looking down. I'd go and look at 11FS who have built their brand entirely through having a leading podcast in their respective niches. There's a lot in there though. So I'll pause and, you know, Derry particularly, I know you're quite active on various channels. So what's your what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, as you say, like being being active on LinkedIn is just a huge, uh, is, a, is a no-brainer for me at the moment. And there's another question actually about how you get lift off from a standing start and how much resource it takes. And specifically, we're finding it challenging to do our day jobs and build a marketing machine. There are a number of tools out there that can make uh, regular posting on LinkedIn way more efficient. So uh, there are tools that allow you, allow you to, to schedule your posts. So Buffer is a really good go-to option around that. There, there are others out there as well. Um, tools to find third-party content. So a lot of what I share on LinkedIn is relevant third-party content. And obviously, it takes, it takes a lot less time to find a relevant piece of third-party content than it does to write something bespoke now you can't just put out third-party content all the time but it's certainly it, it, it's a way of kind of keeping the the content flow going and providing value to to your prospective clients i think with linkedin my, and make you'll know better than me but my understanding of linkedin is you don't really want to post more than once a day because that will uh it, it penalizes you in their in their algorithms so but so one piece of one thing a day on linkedin and if 
half of that is third-party content, then it doesn't take a huge amount of time to source that and, and post it up. Yeah, I think, and to your powerlifting analogy, Terry, I think you, you, you've got to start small. So I wouldn't even be entertaining the question because I, I think you, if you ask many people on here how often you post, I think it'd be the once a week, not not the uh, once a day. But you're, you know, I, I completely agree with, like you say, about those systems. And actually that point around, you know, how do we do this? Have we got the time? I, I didn't jump into it in the framework, but you know, frankly, that's that's where you need to value your time as well. So if you're consulting, you're selling your day, you know, you're you're selling a day of your time for I don't know. Most partners on here will be two grand plus. You need to consider: is it more cost effective to your business to try and do some of this stuff on the side? You know, tools like Buffer. I mean, we use Hootsuite; they're great for scheduling content, so you can batch it. But are you better off? going and selling another day of your time or trying to land a, you know, a 100K or a million pound deal, or are you better doing marketing? So we haven't really touched on that resourcing. We did a bit on um, Derry's webinar, which you can watch back. But seriously, think about if you do believe in the power of marketing, put some time and money and to be honest, resource behind it. And then you decide whether that's internal resource or you decide whether that's an external agency. But side of desk doesn't work. And I I, I won't because it's unfair on them. But I've got a, you know, a list as long as my arm of organizations that have said they can do this side of desk and six months later they've moved for no further forwards all right um i think we've probably got time for one final question so there's one here which is thinking about the bigger firms that have been successful in growing kind of mid to large size consulting firms are there any that uh, that you guys would call out as having really nailed marketing cut through and and really kind of nailed this whole whole approach in, in terms of a, a predictable flow of leads coming from their marketing activity yeah, so I think I think the first one to say is uh, well, I, I get the obvious one, and I'm still the jury's out about whether it appeals to clients or just fellow consultants. But you know, ultimately, what McKinsey do is is the blueprint for this. And now, no one has the research or the um, you know the resource that they do, but the the principle is what you should be following. Putting out useful things on a regular basis will get you those results. As I say, I, I tend to look at the smaller firms who have grown quickly as opposed to the big firms for the reason I said, which is firstly, our target clients are that, that end of the market. But also, I think that's where you see the disruption. You see what is going to be at the big firms in five, 10 years' time. So smaller firms have been doing podcasts longer than big firms. They've been, you know, places like PwC now do a number of them. But I always look at the likes of 11FS because I just I feel that they are more relatable to those people on the call. So for the person asking, I, I would be, if you are dealing with mid and big size firms, I wouldn't be saying, look over there at EY or Oliver Wyman. I'd be saying, look at these guys, because actually they're your competitors. And, and that's not me making it up. Harry Gaskell, who I had on the show, he's number two in EY in the UK. He said his number one fear was not actually their bigger competitors. It was their smaller competitors nibbling away. You know, I think he used the analogy, it's not one big bite, it's lots of nibbles of their lunch. And so that's where, for those of you on the call for relevance, but also if you're selling to those businesses, I wouldn't entertain that side. I'd say, look, these are the small firms, the Elixirs, the 11FSs, they're really tearing it up. You need to be like them. But as I say, interested, I mean, the two of you work with a number of firms as well. Any, any names spring to mind for you? Not specifically names, I have to say. I think um, you know your your knowledge of the kind of marketing side, and we can all name the sort of fast-growing, you know, rapidly advancing businesses. And you make an assumption that they've actually nailed marketing because that's part of it. Although I'd have to confess to not knowing whether that is true or not in many instances. But you you can think of some kind of organisations in that category. I was just reflecting on what Harry had said to you, in fact, and I would say that that's you know, having run large and small organisations, that is. Our absolutely the case you know so having mm -hmm. run large organizations you know we were constantly looking at the kind of smaller aspirant organizations that were challenging us and the high growth organizations amongst it having run a you know global software and services company in education that's exactly where our challenge came from it didn't necessarily come from the established firms alongside of us equally mm -hmm. having run you know a startup more than one startup actually you know our ambition was to make ourselves a nuisance to the bigger firms you know that's part of your objective in terms of how you structure your business and the way you take it to market so uh you know i very much support what harry was saying in that though brilliant well i'm very conscious of time and i know we're now just over running a minute so i think chaps we're gonna to have to draw it to a close there so for those of you who have joined us for the session and for the series it's worth saying thank you very much and we really appreciate you making the time for this and to everything I've said today, I hope that this session has given you a ton of value. I know I got a ton of value from the previous two sessions, and I hope you did too. 
In terms of follow-up, I will send through the slides for this. I'll send through the recording. I'll send through the framework. I'll also send through the slides, or sorry, the recordings from Rob and Derry's session as well, um, along with all of our contact details. So if you want to get in touch with any of us, you want to dig into anything more here, you want to you know, pick up on any of the questions, feel free. And otherwise, thank you very much and, and all the best for the rest of your week. Thanks. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, chaps. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.